It's great to be back. Um, last week, a lot of you were saying, ah, why isn't Joel up here preaching? <laughs> um, and I appreciate your prayers. Um, I just had an uh, allergic reaction to uh, a little bit of uh, some skin cancer surgery removal, and uh, you wouldn't want to have, have looked at me last week. Um, so I appreciate your patience with that. And Jay, for filling in, Jay at the last minute got the call and he stepped up and did a great job in the pulpit last week. Yeah, we can uh, applaud and thank Jay for that. It's great to have confidence to know that, uh, you know, if I uh, happen to uh, go down and out, uh, there can be somebody easily step in and uh, does a great job in, in the pulpit, and that's a great conference um, that I have. Uh, someone once said, um, show me the man you honor, and I can tell by that symptom better than any other what you are yourself. For you show me what your ideals in a person are and the kind of person that you long inexpressibly to be. I find that quote quite interesting. I, I really find that quote uh, challenging, to be honest. Um, I mean, who do I honor? That's what it challenges me to, to ask. Um, and does it show who I long to be? by who I honor, by who I lift up, by who I, I praise. Jesus, in Luke chapter 16, he tells a very um, interesting parable. In fact, it's a parable that I think when we read it, 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 it shocks us. Because he chooses a man that we would not expect. He, he tells us uh, this strange parable about a manager who is wasteful, who is, who is dishonest, and shrewd, and he commends him, he honors him. I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 16 this morning. Luke chapter 16. Um, read with me as I read these, uh, this, this parable here. Luke 16, starting in verse 1. He also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do. So that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. He said, well, then take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. And then he said to another, well, how much do you owe? And he said, well, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. <laughs> there it is. There's the parable. Now, that, that parable has been called uh, by some the most puzzling parable of all of Jesus' parables. Some have come to believe that the problems with this parable are, in fact, so complex that you can't solve them. 
In fact, in church history, there's a man named Julian the Apostate, and he used this parable to assert the the weakness, inferiority of the Christian faith and of, of Jesus Christ himself, that he's inferior. So why is this parable so puzzling? I mean, what is it about this parable that, that shocks us? When I read that parable, when we read that parable, what was it that, 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 that stood out, that shocked you, surprised you? <laughs> well, I think the, the reason really is quite simple. Because it appears in this parable that what Jesus is doing is he's praising a thief at worst and um, a scoundrel at best. And beyond that, Jesus seems to be saying to his disciples and to you and I, he seems to be saying to us, he says, hey, let this man be your model. So what's going on here? What's, What's going on in this parable? What is Jesus commending this man for? Well, it wasn't his wastefulness. He's not commending him for the fact that he, he wasted all of his money. It wasn't for his dishonesty. No, Jesus, what he honors this man for singularly is for his shrewdness. Did you notice this? Verse 8 again. Look what he says here. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. <laughs> what is it that comes to your mind when you think of a person being shrewd? Is it the lawyer who has this, you know, this confident smile and says, ah, you know, I will get my client off whether he, he is guilty or not? Is it the businesswoman who is so crafty she always seems to be able to, you know, get the deal done? Is it the, you know, Eddie Haskell, a quick-witted kid, you know, who always seems to be able to smoothly talk himself out of whatever troubles he finds himself in? When you think of shrewd, do you think of the words cunning, um, wily? I mean, see, typically, we don't think of someone being shrewd. We, We don't think that in a positive way. Typically, that idea of being shrewd isn't a positive thing to us. Now, while we know that it's appropriate to use words like, you know, gentle and meek and uh, loving and patient and kind when we describe the Christ follower, we take a step back and we begin to wonder uh, what Jesus is doing when he praises this guy for his shrewdness, don't we? In fact, I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't just praise this manager. He tells us who are his disciples, you and I who are his disciples, we are to be like this man. Look at the end of verse 8. Look what he says here. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. In other words, Jesus is saying that we, as children of light, that we need to be shrewd. How do you feel (laughs) Um, when I say that you can't be a a real committed disciple of Jesus Christ unless you're shrewd? What does Jesus mean when he says that? In what ways are we to be shrewd, you and I? Well, to understand what Jesus means here, we must see this compliment 
I think in its, its context. Um, when Jesus honors this man for being shrewd, he's talking in terms of our worldly wealth. Look with me at the next verse, verse 9. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, worldly wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Um, you know, Jesus' point here is that we as people of light, that we are expected to be shrewd when it comes to how we handle our money, how we handle our possessions, how we handle our talents, our wealth, all those things that God has given us. And here, I think, is the first lesson that this parable can teach us. How, our, how we handle our money reveals if we understand that we are just stewards or not. See, the main character in this parable, you understand this, he's a steward, he was a, a manager, but the very beginning of this parable, this guy evidently had forgotten that fact. He failed to remember that he was just the manager of this rich man's assets. He had lost, fact that, uh, lost sight of the fact that his job description simply said, um, serve your master. <laughs> so instead of increasing his owner's wealth, what he did is he went out and wasted it. He went out and squandered it. Until, that is, his master told him that he was being fired. And then, did you notice, this guy suddenly, he, he, he wakes up to reality. Reality sets in. And that point that, at that point, this, this dishonest manager becomes amazingly honest with himself. And he realizes that the money he had was not really his to keep or, or, or freely spend as, as he desired. He understood that he was just a steward of this Master's money. See, that can so easily happen to us, can't it? I mean, the Bible is very clear that we too, you and I, we, we too are stewards. That all we have, all you have, all I have, it all belongs to God, and it's simply entrusted to us to manage. See, the money you have, the possessions you have, uh, the talents that you have, everything that you have, everything I have, it's all our masters, and we're just his stewards. We're just his managers. But see, it's so easy for us to lose track of that. We begin to believe that what we have is mine. And when we begin developing this ownership, it's mine mentality, what it happens is it changes our relationship to our money, doesn't it? We want to hold on to it for all it's worth. It changes our relationship to others. We begin, you know, feeling a little bit more superior to them. And it changes our relationship to God. You know, I make God one more charity that I, you know, have to support. <laughs> See, true generosity flows out of an understanding that God owns everything. And we're just stewards of his money, you and I. Now, listen, I, I know that's easy for me to say up here. It's easy for you maybe to repeat. <laughs> 
But it's another thing for that truth really to sink down deep into our hearts where we feel it and where we, we grasp a hold of it. But when it really does sink down all the way into our gut, I got to tell you, it shapes everything that we think and feel or do. Our lives will be transformed when we understand this truth and hold on to it. We move from duty to to delight, uh, from rules to keep to an adventure that we share. We wake up in the morning, you know, wondering what we're going to do with all of God's time and how we're going to direct God's resources extravagantly towards his purposes. So here's a question for us to ask. It's simply this. Am I using the resources entrusted to me in accordance with the owner's wishes? When you look at your checking account, when you look at your visa bill, um, when you look at your calendar, do you see a clear direction toward fulfilling God's purposes and agenda or rather fulfilling yours? That brings us to a second lesson I think we need to see in this parable. And that is how we handle our money now demonstrates um, if we are wise investors. (laughs) As we noted, Jesus compliments this manager for his shrewdness. He he doesn't congratulate him on his his accounting skills, you know. Uh, He didn't hold him up for us to see because of his, uh, you know, excellent faith. Um, No, he commends this guy solely for the fact that he acted shrewdly. The Greek word for shrewd means to act with foresight. In Matthew 7, Jesus tells the story of a wise or shrewd man who anticipated a coming rainstorm, and and, uh, so he built his house on the rock. Remember that story? He had foresight. He was shrewd. And in Matthew 25, there are five wise virgins that were shrewd enough to think ahead and make provisions for their lamps in case the bridegroom arrived later than expected. They acted with foresight. What Jesus is praising this manager for is he acted with foresight. He took advantage of the brief time before he was cut off from being the business manager for this, this rich man. And he used the resources to guarantee his future. He, he takes the, the, the resources that he has today and he uses it to prepare for tomorrow. In other words, he, he becomes a wise investor. See, I think Jesus really here has given us some um, uh, advice on investments. I mean, he's warned us in other places. Remember this? He's warned us in other places that garments and money and real estate, that they're really not good eternal um, investments. Uh, They will rot. They'll get rusted out. They'll be destroyed. But here he tells us about an investment that will be eternal, making friends. (laughs) Think about it. People of the world, I mean, they know the value of friends, don't they? Politicians know their, their careers depend upon it. 
Um, so they make themselves available to their constituencies, uh, and they pay and they pad the bills with something extra for the you know for the folks at home. <laughs> Business people know the value of friends. They know it's not simply what you know, but it's who you know that oftentimes matters most. So a shrewd businessman sends gifts, um, makes visits, uh, attends parties, goes golfing. (laughs) Jesus is saying, hey, make a wise investment. We're to be shrewd in the use of our master's money in order to win friends for the future. That's the key point in this parable, in fact. Jesus is saying that the wisest and shrewdest investment that you and I can make with God's money is when we put it towards things that will help others come to know and love Jesus Christ. And there's an unending list of how you can, you know, invest in that way. Every winter, our student velocity ministry holds what we call Terrace on Chicago. Um, a first-class restaurant experience to raise money for our students to go on different ministry or mission trips. Over the years, we, we have uh, sent students um, to uh, the Ukraine. We've sent students to the inner city of New Orleans. This summer, we, we sent students to Duluth. We sent students to, to Denver. All of those things to do um, ministry in the name of Jesus Christ and to share Christ's love with those around them. I got to tell you, friends, if you don't know it, God is doing some great things through our student ministry here, changing students' lives, impacting students' lives so they can impact their friends' lives. I got to tell you, what a great investment, isn't it? Giving so that these students and others can go on these life-changing mission trips and these life-changing weekend retreats. What a great investment. Our children's ministry is weekly teaching our kids about God and who he is and his love for them. Do you realize, according to Barna, 94% of adult believers, so in other words, 94% of you in here that are adult believers, you made your decisions to follow Christ before you were 18 years old. 94% made their decision to follow Christ before they were 18. Can you think of a more important investment than in our children's ministry? <laughs> I can't. Wow. Enrique Fernandez, one of our supported missionaries, is training Spanish-speaking church leaders um, all over the world using the Internet. Um, I mean, what an unbelievable opportunity to help those pastors become effective in their preaching and teaching of God's Word and leading a church than by giving to Enrique and his ministry, Prometa. I, I got to tell you, those are only, I could go on. I mean, those are only uh, three opportunities right here in our, our, our church body to invest in God's kingdom. There are literally thousands of ways you can invest God's resources shrewdly so that when it's gone, there'll be friends to welcome you into uh, your eternal dwelling. <laughs> Back in 1998, um, Becky and I, when we traveled to China to adopt our daughter, Hope, um, we were thrilled. We, we loved uh, that time. We were over there for two weeks, just getting to know our daughter and, and loving on our daughter. And after that two weeks, though, we were, we were excited and anxious to come home. 
And we were ready to come home. The, the plane trip, I got to tell you, from, from uh, uh, China to uh, back here to Minneapolis is, is a long one, especially when you have a one-year-old. Um, you know, 12 hours uh, flight on that, on that trip. Um, and, uh, we knew that when we got off the plane, we'd be tired and worn out, and, but we were excited to get home. We also knew there would be a few people here at the airport to greet us, you know, some family and a few friends. Now, this was before 9-11, so you could actually get to that location, you know, as you come out of the, uh, the international terminal where, where you could see people. But we never anticipated the crowd that would actually be there. Not only were there family and a few of those friends, but there were fellow teachers from Chaska that um, had taught with Becky through all these years. There, there were people from our church that we were at at that point that were praying for us, that were there. There was a group of guys um, and their families that I had been meeting with for a couple of years. They were all there in that place. It seemed like was, <laughs> I still remember coming off, that, I had hope on my shoulders, you know, and she had this big smile on her face. I knew she was going to be an outgoing person, uh, you know, at that point. But we came off that, and, and, she, and this crowd was there. It was so unbelievable. Two wonderful words. We walked out, and there's a big sign saying, Welcome home. <laughs> you know, when I think about that time, and I wonder about the crowd that will be waiting for me as I step into heaven, I wonder who's going to be there. Who will be holding up that sign? Certainly there will be loved ones who have gone ahead, but wouldn't it be great, just think about it, wouldn't it be great to be greeted by those in whom you have invested? What would it be worth to you to have someone grab you by the hand and say through, through tears of joy, if it weren't for you, I wouldn't be here? What would it be worth to have someone excitedly explain how your gift, when they were broke or when they were broken, taught them about God's love. What would it be worth to have someone introduce you throughout the eternity and say, this is the person who helped fund the MOPS program at First Free. They introduced me to Christ. Or these people supported the missionary that told me about Jesus. <laughs> I bet if you think about it, close your eyes, just think about it. You could think about people who... Um, have invested in you. I, when I think about it, I, I think of Richard and Joanne Kane, friends from California, who early in our ministry supported Becky and I in multiple ways. And each time I think of God's provision and, and examples of, of, of generosity, I think of the Canes, and I praise God for them. And I assure you, like, let me tell you, if if I ever introduce Richard and Joanne Kane to you in heaven, <laughs> I'll say to you, these two invested in me. Wouldn't it be great to be welcomed into heaven by your friends who are there in part because of your wise investment of the master's money? That's, Jesus says, that, that's being shrewd. It's what Jim Elliot was talking about when he said, hey, it's not a fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose, right? So here's the second question for us this morning. Am I leveraging, leveraging what I have in the short term for great rewards in the future? That's Jesus' point. 
Use the master's money shrewdly now, today, to win kingdom friends. There's a third lesson in this parable I want to point out, and that's how we handle our money now demonstrates how we will handle true riches. Look with me at Jesus' application. Starting in verse 10. Look what he says here. Who, or one who is faithful is very little, in a very little, is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to you the true riches? And if you have not been found faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? <laughs> um, all of us are being tested by how we use little things. And all the context is money in this parable. The promises go much further than that. If we are faithful in small things, handling money, for example, we'll be entrusted with greater things. And if we aren't trustworthy with small things, then we can't be trusted with the greater things. Listen, if, 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 if a child can't be trusted to spend her father's money and return the change, then she can't be trusted to stay overnight alone at a friend's house, right? If a young boy can be trusted to, to clean his room and take out the garbage, certainly he can be trusted with a dog or, or the responsibility of a bike. That's how life works, right? How we handle our worldly wealth determines if we can be trusted with true riches, things of God's kingdoms, the stuff and, and the, the people that matter most in life. <laughs> Do you know what this principle does? It invalidates all of our if-onlys. You don't understand what I say with the if-onlys? You know, the other day I was driving by one of those big billboards, you know, on the road, and, and it was advertising the, the latest Powerball numbers. Um, I think the Powerball number was over $50 million, you know, uh, for the winner. And for a fleeting moment, I thought, ah, if only I just had a million of those $50 million, you know? Um, then I could be more generous, you know? I could, I could give to uh, church, I could give to missions, and then I came back to Jesus' words here. Jesus says, listen, how you handle a few dollars tells me whether what you would do with a million dollars. So evidently, I haven't learned to earn his trust yet. Um, you know, I didn't win uh, that Powerball. Um, uh, how we handle something as mundane as money, see, it demonstrates what we would do with God's true blessings. In other words, learning to give wisely and steward our worldly wealth, that's, that's the basic. I mean, that's like the ABCs of faithfulness. It's, it's like class 101. It's, it's the first baby step, being a good steward with God's money. And if we don't get this down, listen, we don't move on very far. But if we do, we step into a whole new area of blessing and and opportunity. We get true riches, the kind that allow us to play a role in transforming others' lives and, and, and impacting souls. How we handle money now proves our trustworthiness as one of his stewards. So here's a third question. Am I proving myself trustworthy? 
There's one more lesson I want to point out from this parable for us this morning. That's simply this. How we handle our money proves who we serve. Look with me at Jesus' statement, verse 13. Look what he says here. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. See, God is the wisest investment banker in the universe, right? He doesn't give us greater riches to start off with. No, he gives us these little tests uh, with worldly wealth, uh, you know, our, our money, and says, okay, let's see where your heart is. Let's just check it out. Where, where, where's your heart? Are you really worshiping me or are you worshiping yourself through all that stuff? Jesus' words make it clear. The test of our true devotion and love is what we do with this little thing <laughs> called money. And notice here, Jesus doesn't leave any room for uh, middle ground, does he? Okay, I'm going to old school here, okay? But some of you maybe remember uh, the old comedian Jack Benny. Jack Benny, um, his running joke, if you're not familiar with him, Jack Benny's running joke was uh, that he always was 39 years old. And the other part was he was notoriously a, uh, uh, a tightwad, okay? In fact, in one of his television skits, uh, Jack Benny's accosted by a thug on the street who points a, a gun at him and says, your money or your life? Jack Benny just freezes. Again, the thief, getting a little anxious, says, uh, uh, come on, come on, I don't have all day here, your money or your life. And this time, Jack Benny responds, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. <laughs> Similarly, God, I think, says to us, hey, your money or me? And, you know, our natural response is, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. <laughs> it's a hard decision sometimes, isn't it? But as a West African proverb goes, the man who tries to walk two roads will split his pants. <laughs> yeah. Jesus tells us there is no such thing as a middle ground. There's no waffling. God, see, he wants more than your money. He wants your heart. He's not looking for just donors to his kingdom. He, he's not looking for dispassionate philanthropy. No, God's looking for disciples who are filled with a vision for eternity that they'll not dream of investing their money, their time, their prayers anywhere else. Generosity is about giving from your heart. The wise person is the one who says, God comes first. And their giving reflects their heart response. So let me ask a fourth question. And that's simply this. Does your checkbook demonstrate that your heart is God's? Does it demonstrate that you love him above all else? You see, your love of God will depend, <laughs> will deepen, excuse me, will deepen if you give away your money. I got to tell you that. The more we give away, the more our hearts are warmed to him. Until we learn to invest God's money in God's mission for eternal impact, we will always be torn between two masters. <laughs> None of us want to end up with split pants, right? 
How shrewd are you with your master's resources? The money, time, energy, skills he has given you. What are you doing? You do understand that they'll all be gone soon, right? For all of us. I don't care what age you are. He has given you notice. Jesus says the shrewd person takes advantage of their current financial situation to invest in their eternal future. (laughs) My question this morning is simply, are you shrewd? They say that in Deadwood, South Dakota, where they had a gold rush 100 years ago, there's a museum. And in that museum, there's an inscription scratched out by a beleaguered prospector that says, I lost my gun, I lost my horse, I'm out of food, the natives are after me, and I've got all the gold I can carry. (laughs) Foolish man. Foolish man. Might you and I be different? Might we be shrewd? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for um, just all that you have given us. Thank you for your gracious gifts uh, so much, way beyond money, way beyond our, our finances to cover our daily needs. God, you have given us so much So many good gifts, and they come from the hand of a generous God. Lord, might we learn to be generous as well. Might we learn from our Father, our Heavenly Father. Might we imitate you in our generosity. In your Son's precious name, we pray these things. Amen.